So if you have your Bibles, turn to uh, 1 Peter 1, verses 22, and we're going to go through chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. So let's start with uh, 1 Peter 22. If I can have someone read that. So loving one another can be easy for many people. However, loving one another can be very difficult for other people. Uh, The reason why it's easy for some and difficult for others is because people have different perspectives of this concept of love. Some who have little experience with love may be eager and quick to express their feelings towards others, while those who have had past experiences of love uh, may have already been let down or, um, or put down for ever having any kind of positive expectations of love. And at some point, maybe they have had those expectations fail and disappoint them. Some people do not believe in love. Some people do, but have a very false view of love that has been mostly informed by things like romantic novels and films. And love is often a term that we throw around with uh, the assumption that we all know what it means when we say it. It's a term that is often hard to define, but as Christians, we use the term love a lot, right? We say things like, God is love. Um, We read in scripture commandments that we are to love one another. But what does that mean? What does that mean practically? In what ways do we display such love? And in what ways are we not being loving? Right? Sometimes we, we say it, but we don't know what it means and how it ought to be fleshed out. And these are questions that we have to think through and wrestle with, especially as Christians, since love is an essential part of the Christian faith. And as we look at our passage today in First, uh, first Peter 1, 22, all the way to 2, 3, you'll see a command from Peter to the church to love one another. And, and we're going to talk about what this love means. So again, my goal for today is to talk about this command and show how Peter makes a connection from loving one another to to the gospel itself. And so I divided the the passage that we're going to go through in three sections, and you'll see it in your handout. Uh, Number one is sincere and pure love for one another, right? That's the command. Number two is love rooted in God's saving work. And point number three is longing for the pure milk. Okay, those are the three main themes of that passage. So let's start with the first one. The first one is sincere and pure love for one another. Now, just as a brief review, last week we covered the verses before uh, today's passage, and we talked about the Christian as a pilgrim in this world and the call for them to set their minds on the return of Christ, 
to live, of li- to live a life of holiness and to fear the Lord. And the context of Peter's letter was that Peter was writing to both Jew and Gentile uh, who were facing much discrimination and persecution for being Christians in a place in which uh, Peter refers to as Babylon, which is assumed to be Rome. And we continue on today with verse 22. That's where we're at. Uh, And let's read it. Verse 22 says, Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. So this is where we begin uh, our discussion about love. Peter's commanding believers to love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Now considering that these believers were facing much hardship, right, as we've seen in verse 6 of the same chapter, why did Peter feel the need to talk about this topic of love, right? You would think, out of all things to talk about, you know, you're facing hardship, persecution. Uh, imagine that being the case in our church. Where we, we, imagine the pastors here uh, talking to a congregation who here in Orlando are facing much persecution and, and discrimination and, and, and hardships like what we see in First Peter. And, and the pastor's primary emphasis is to love one another. It seems sort of out of place. Uh, and and it, it, you see the same thing in First Peter 4, 8, where he says, above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. So uh, he's placing this loving one another above all. It's a top priority. Now, again, I don't know about you, but I can think of so many things that would seem more important uh, in, a, in a situation like the church that Peter was speaking to, especially in a time of hardship. However, we see that Peter recognizes the importance of love in the midst of these trials and in the midst of this persecution. And this verse begins by stating how this love for one another is directly connected to our uh, regeneration. So look, look back at the passage that we're looking at. The verse says, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love. And he goes on. So Peter is stating that because of our obedience to the truth, our souls have been purified. What does that mean? Because of our obedience to the truth. You'll see that by obedience to the truth, Peter is no way implying that our souls were purified by our works, right? When we think of obedience, we tend to think of like a works-based system. The term uh, obedience to the truth, uh, as we dig into it, you'll, you'll find out that that simply means submission to the gospel, right? And we see this throughout scripture. Uh, Romans 1.5, notice where it says the same thing. Through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith. That's, that's what it's talking about. The obedience of, uh, of faith for the sake of his name among all nations. Another verse is, Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings have been made known to all the nations, according to the command of the eternal God, to bring about what? The obedience of faith. So when Peter is saying uh, that we've been purified by our obedience to the truth, uh, it's talking about 
our obedience in faith or of faith. Um, it simply means, you know, we're purified through the gospel, through, through faith, the faith that we've received. Um, that's what he means by obedience to the truth. So again, when Peter says that our souls have been purified by our obedience to the truth, he's talking about conversion. When you believed in the gospel, you believed it by faith. And as a Christian, when you were born again, you were purified through the atoning work of Christ. And you receive this, again, by obedience of faith. But Peter's point isn't about your regeneration necessarily, uh, but rather what is produced as a result of your regeneration. And we see back in our main text that as a result of being saved, it produces in us a sincere brotherly love. That's the point, that we have now access to the sincere brotherly love that we've obtained through simply being born again. Now, back in our main text, being that Peter uses the phileo love, right, the brotherly love, he, he uses that specification, it implies that this love that's produced in us is not a general love towards all mankind, although that's certainly part of the Christian faith. But this love that Peter speaks of refers to our love towards the, our brothers and sisters in Christ, right, of the household of faith. And this is the beauty of the church. This is what's so special about us as born-again believers. God, the Holy Spirit, has drawn each member of the body towards one another, right? This love goes beyond race. This love goes beyond ethnicity. It goes beyond class. Now, this truth about our love for one another goes beyond our emotions, our affections, which are often fickle. In fact, Peter describes this love as a sincere brotherly love. Now, I think it's important to note that as Christians, we may not at times feel that our love for one another is sincere. However, Peter isn't implying that once you're born again, you immediately have a sincere love for your brethren. That's not what he's saying, right? He's not saying when you came to faith, all of a sudden, you're, you have this love for one another um, right away, immediately, sort of like a supernatural thing. It's not what he's saying. But what he does say is that one of the primary purposes for God regenerating you is that you would have a sincere love for one another. That's one of the fruits that comes out of being born again. It's, it's also one of the goals of being born again, that you would be united to each other just as Christ is united with the Father. Um, that union with Christ and the Father uh, now is poured into us, right, through the work of the Holy Spirit. And, and we have that same affection towards one another, e eventually. It may not be immediately, but that's the goal um, of, of, of our regeneration. So one of the signs of your growth as a Christian is a sincere love for other Christians. I would even go as to say that the opposite of that is true. If you're not growing in spiritual maturity in Christ, your love for Christians will decrease. Have you ever seen that even in your own life? where you feel sort of distant from God, you, you feel like you're caught up in your sin, but, but when you look at your relationships, your relationship with the people of God, you feel sort of distant as well. It's almost as if what's going on up here is, is also fleshing out down here. Uh, so again, the opposite is true. You, what, if, if you're not growing with the Lord, you're also not, uh, you know, 
having a right relationship with other Christians. And it, it also logically fits that if you are far off from God, maybe even an unbeliever, chances are you can't even stand Christians and the way that they are and the way that they think and the way that they act. So why this connection with God and Christians? A question is, is it possible to love God but not love his people? The straightforward answer is obviously no. It's, it's not possible. However, some might claim to have a strong loving relationship with their creator, yet want nothing to do with his church. But the Bible calls such people to examine themselves and to recognize that if they do not love God's people, they essentially do not love God. Uh, here's a verse to back that up. Can someone read it? It's 1 John 4, 20 to 21. Yeah. So the, the point of all this is that God is present with his people, right? You, you can't separate God and his people. God is present with his people. He indwells in them by his spirit. And Peter is making the point to show that our conversion to Christ not only connects us to God, but it connects us to one another. This was especially significant to the saints in whom Peter was writing to. Now, remember, remember the context. Peter's readers were both Jew and Gentile. So at one point, it was unfathomable to think that God would call anyone who wasn't a Jew part of his people, right? We, initially, uh, when you think of God's people, you thought of the Jews, and that was it. But again, it was unthinkable to think that God was making um, people who were outside of the uh, camp of Israel... He was making them his children. He was calling people from all nations. And that was unthinkable during that time. But as we read in Galatians 3.28, right, it says there is no Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male or female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. In other words, God is, is now making a new people, a new race, uh, if you will. And with that in mind, it was mind-blowing, it was a mind-blowing concept to Peter's audience to have a sincere love towards one another, considering the history between Jew and Gentile. So many different kinds of people are now considered one body, one people group, one new race. And, and if you think about it, that has many implications to, to us today here, especially in, in a country with so much diversity, that God um, is now using the gospel to break these walls of race, culture, ethnicity, and is now creating a new one, a new country, a new people, a new race. Uh, and our identity is, is found in that. And often, like, like myself, uh, as a Hispanic, um, there are aspects of my culture that if I were to bring into the body of Christ um, would, would probably damage the situation because my culture, my background is not morally neutral, right? There are things about my people, things about my culture, and not, not specifically my race, but even just where I grew up, some of my background. A lot of those things are not uh, morally neutral. And so when I come to Christ, I'm freed from some of the sins that I might be familiar with that seems to be so much a part of me. 
And so as, as, as God is doing that with the Jews and with the Gentiles, right, you see that there's a, a need to conform to this truth that's been revealed by Jesus Christ. Um, and there's obviously conflict between Jew and Gentile in that, in that period of time. And so it's, it's unthinkable to think about um, what that means to love one another with a sincere love. And that, that was a work that was being done in that church, and Peter's commanding this because this is the implications of what it means to be a Christian. So there's so much of that tied to us today. Um, Peter says that this is a reality for Christians to love one another, to, uh, uh, to have this sincere love towards one another uh, because of our regeneration. And, and following this point, Peter still commands the church to love one another earnestly and from a pure heart. In other words, there ought to be an active pursuit from Christians to love one another. Uh, the ESV uses the term earnestly. I know some, some uh, versions use the term fervently. But both words communicate for an active pursuit uh, to love one another intensely. That's, that's what Peter is is calling the church to do. Now, in order for us to pursue love intensely, we have to understand, first of all, what love looks like according to, to God's word. What, what does God mean when we talk about love? Is it what we've uh, understood and what we've received from the media or for, from novels or from uh, you know, romantic comedies? It, it, has that informed the way that you think about love? Our goal is to see if, if we're being commanded to love, to understand what love is according to the Bible. Here's a, here's a good start. Uh, 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 through 7. Can someone read that? Amen. Yeah, such a, such a good passage, so simple. Um, we see what love is uh, in 1 Corinthians 13 through 4, uh, 4 through 7. And, and again, much can be said about what love is according to Scripture. Uh, but for the sake of time, what I would suggest is uh, write this passage down, at least the verse, uh, you know, the, the chapter and verse, and uh, meditate on it as much as you can. Because, again, we have this command from 1 Peter to pursue this kind of love earnestly and sincerely. So if we can meditate on the passages in Scripture that talk about love, especially this one, um, we know exactly how we ought to act towards one another. And so uh, think about that. The Scripture says, seek it earnestly, seek it sincerely towards one another. Let's move on to the second point. Uh, the second point is love rooted in God's saving work. So let's go ahead and read verses 23 all the way through chapter 2, verse 1. I'll put it up here. Can someone read that? Word is 
Amen. So here we see Peter giving reason to the command for Christians to love one another. He's, he's giving its reason. He's making the connection. What, what's the reason? And his reason here is based on the foundational truth that we are born again, right? God's very own spirit lives within us and has changed our hearts and given us a love for his people. And he goes on to say that this new birth within us was conceived not of perishable seed, but of imperishable seed. What does that mean? Uh, again, this concept of perishable seed and imperishable seed, it, it has a lot of implications. First of all, when you consider all the things that are perishable, what, what do you think of? What are things that are perishable? I'll open up the floor for you guys to answer. What's that? Food. All right. We have perishable foods, imperishable foods. Yep. That's right. Canned goods. What else? Exterior paint. Yeah, I know what you mean. <laughs> My toilet seat. Um, what else? This world. This world, yeah. Any, anything earthly, really. Yeah. Yeah, so we know what perishable means. Um, it can range from every, anything from material possessions, but even to human beings, right? We are perishable. At one point, we're all going to perish. Um, but when we, what do we think about when we think of imperishable? It, we have less examples of that. When we, in an earthly sense, it's hard to think about things that are imperishable. I know we have some foods that last long, but... Um, yeah, amen, amen. You, you can't go wrong with that answer. Yeah, amen. That's right. What else? That, that's almost it, actually. I mean, things that are eternal, things that are, are related to eternal life. Our souls. That's right. That's right. That's right. Amen to that. Yeah, our souls will last forever. Yeah. So, anything done spiritually for God will reap imper imperishable treasure. We know that. So, that which is spiritual. Now, regarding a perishable and imperishable seed, right? The word that Peter uses here is spora, which when you consider the way in which he's using it in this context, it's more like the word sperma is where we get the word sperm from. And the idea that Peter's trying to convey here is that our natural birth, right? Our natural birth is that of a perishable seed, which is earthly. And when it produces children, they'll die eventually. On the contrary, when a man or woman is born again, the seed is one that is imperishable. It does not result in eventual death. This seed brings about eternal life. And so going back to our main text, Peter is reminding Christians of the reason for our love. Reason is we've been born again, and our new birth will produce love for God and love for his people. And he assures us this because our birth is one that was produced by a seed that's imperishable. And if you're alive today, this is proof that your parents conceived you. However, if you die one day, this is proof that the seed that brought forth your conception was perishable, doesn't last, unfortunately. Likewise, on the contrary, if you're a Christian today and you're growing in love for one another, this is proof that God made you alive and you're born again. And by faith, you'll live for eternity, which means that the seed that brought forth your spiritual conception is imperishable. Now, what is this 
imperishable seed that was sown in you that brought forth eternal life and fruit of love for one another. What is this? What is he talking about? Let's look at this uh, passage here. 1 Peter 1, 23b-25 says, Through the living and abiding word of God, for all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass, the grass withers and the flowers fall, or the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever, and this word is the good news that was preached to you. That's the seed. That's the seed that was planted in you that brings forth eternal life. In that, in that little passage, Peter's quoting Isaiah 40, verses 6 through 8 here. And this was to remind the church that the word of God, right, that's the imperishable seed, the good news preached to us, is the imperishable seed that was sown in us and brought us eternal life and a love for God and a love for his people. So Peter connects this to his next statement, beginning with chapter 2, verse 1. He begins by saying, so, right, you see here, so, for that reason, put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander. Right? For the reason that you were born again, you're born of a seed that is imperishable. The word was planted in you and it bore the fruit of eternal life. For that reason, put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like, like I mentioned last week, the pattern that we see in the New Testament is that when a command is given, like what we see here, put away malice, put away deceit, hypocrisy, that command... Uh, it, a command, especially in the New Testament, a command is usually given um, after an indicative, right? In other words, we see that because we are saved, we are then commanded to act in obedience and not the other way around, right? We as Christians obey, but we don't obey so that we are saved, but rather we're saved, therefore we obey. And in the same way, Peter begins first by expressing the reality of our new birth, right? That's what we covered right now. And then he follows with that imperative for Christians to put away malice, deceit, hypocrisy, and envy. And this is consistent with his theme of love, right? Because again, this is the theme of, of this passage. Everyone knows that experientially, right, when, you, when you're friends with someone or you have a relationship with people or a family or a person or an individual... Everyone knows that the one killer of that relationship or that love that you have towards another person are those things, right? Malice intentions, lies, deceit, right? When you're two-faced with someone, you're hypocritical or a, feel, a feeling of jealousy or envy towards another person or that person that you have a relationship with. These are the things that kill the love within those relationships. And again, it's the same thing for the body of Christ. Peter is, is telling his church to kill these, uh, to, to put away these, these things, right? Deceit, malice, hypocrisy, and envy, because these are the things that kill the love that, that he's commanding us to have towards one another. So take a moment now to think about this imperative. Just think about it personally. Uh, and it's easy when we think about this command, you know, uh, put away malice and deceit and hypocrisy. It's easy to think of someone else. Like, man, this person needs to start killing their, their malice and their deceit and their hypocrisy. Um, 
But, but think about it. Think about how that applies to yourself. Analyze yourself for a moment. Are, are your relationships with the body sincere? Is your heart towards a brother or sister ever filled with malice intentions? Do you ever act with a brother or sister in deceit? Uh, do you struggle with being hypocritical with a brother or sister in Christ? Do you ever speak or act out out of envy towards your brother or sister in Christ? If so, ask the Lord to help you. By the Spirit of God, you can put to death these sinful desires that only produce problems in the end within the body of Christ. Don't allow this to stay in your heart too long. As we get to the final point, point number three, we'll see how Peter shows us the way to combat these things um, that cause us not to love one another sincerely and earnestly and, and, and with a pure heart. So let's go into point number three, uh, longing for the pure milk. <clears throat> so, so let's read uh, 1 Peter 2, verses 2 to 3. Can someone read that? Yeah, so this reference to newborn infants, you'll notice he says, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk. That reference to newborn infants, um, it's not indicating that Peter's audience were spiritually mature, so, you know, they need milk. Uh, Peter is saying that believers should be like newborn infants in the way that they long for, or in other words, in the way that they crave for milk, right? When we see children craving for milk, we ought to be like these newborn infants, uh, in this case, it would be a spiritual milk that would be essentially the word of God. Uh, also, this is not implying that milk signifies basic elementary level of biblical doctrine. That's not what it's saying. You know, you need to go back to the simple things. Um, it simply means the milk of the word. And, and the spiritual milk for us, for all of us, is essential for spiritual growth as milk is to babies for their physical growth. Right, they'll cry and fuss. But yeah, and, and also they, they, they don't grow right. I think they grow with health, health problems. And when we think about our spiritual growth, um, our, our maturity, and even how it relates to our love for one another, a lot of times the reason why the church doesn't love one another is, is they're not maturing in, in, in the word. They're not growing in God's word, and they're not uh, yearning for that spiritual milk. Um, yeah, so Peter continues on by saying that by it, right, where it says, uh, long for the spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. Um, <clears throat> Peter, he's saying by it, meaning by the spiritual milk of the word, you may grow up into salvation. Now, what does Peter mean by growing up into salvation? Is he implying that believers do not have salvation already? That's obviously very unlikely. In fact, as we just read, Peter is constantly reminding believers of the fact that they have been born again through an imperishable seed. So he's not saying, you know, yearn for spiritual milk because by it you're going to earn salvation or achieve salvation. He's well aware that you already have it by faith. But what he means is that spiritual growth is necessary for what we would say eschatological hope, which is... Uh, an eschatological salvation would be spiritual growth is needed 
uh, because that's one of the things that marks a true believer. And so in the end, when we uh, get into that uh, final state of glory, right, we've, we've received the fullness of salvation. We, we will know by looking back that our spiritual growth was essential. It was, it was a fruit of that saving faith that we had. And you, you can kind of tell when, when a person is not born again, they don't know the Lord when they're not growing spiritually. That's one of the signs. And so that's what Peter means when he's, when he's talking about uh, growing up in, into salvation. Uh, an example is if we were to travel to the future and see ourselves in a glorified state, we would also see that the spiritual growth was a necessary fruit that proved that our salvation was real to begin with. So spiritual growth is a sign that a person has been truly regenerated. Therefore, when Peter says that we may grow up into salvation, he's simply saying that spiritual growth and true salvific, true salvific faith go hand in hand, right? You can't detach the two. Um, and we must never divorce the two. So, and, and this is why Peter adds in verse 3, uh, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. In other words, spiritual growth will bring forth an end-time salvation. But this is only for those who have truly tasted that the Lord is good. True saving faith is a work by God in the heart of man, but it produces a love for God and his people as well as, a, as, well as the fruit of spiritual growth. That's, that's an evidence of their faith. Those whom God has regenerated experience the love of God through the gospel, and they truly have tasted that the Lord is good. There, there, ha, have you ever spoken to someone who's very familiar with doctrines of the Bible, but you, you can tell that they haven't tasted and, 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 and really felt that the Lord is good? Um, it's, it's, like, uh, it's like knowing that, you know, statistics say that pizza is very popular and it, 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 it seems to taste good in the tongues of many. It's one thing to know that fact. Uh, it's a whole other thing to just try that slice of pepperoni pizza. <laughs> you, you know, you know, the feeling, you know how it tastes good. You, you, uh, you experience it. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't just for humor that I said to cry out, but we, we cry out. Amen. Out of, out of, because of that taste that we've had, we, right. we want to keep growing in it and, yeah. and, and, and being nourished by it. Yeah. Do we cry out? Yeah. But we don't. Right. You know, so that feels like Yeah, excellent. Yeah. Off, uh, I, I think, uh, you know, we we ought to, especially if we've been born again. Um, and, and I know some of us can testify. Ever since you were born again, you found you found the word to be something that you're drawn to, that you desire more. Um, and I know people that, that can't relate to that. They think that's, that's crazy to be, to, to be, you know, in your room studying the scriptures or, or to sit through an expository sermon. Um, you know, it's hard to do that if you don't have that desire. And if you haven't tasted and seen that the Lord is good, you know, it, it's, it, it's something that the Lord has to do in each person. So, but that's good. That's a good question. Do we desire um, do we yearn for that spiritual milk? And uh, we, we ought to analyze ourselves in that way. <clears throat> Many who claim to be Christians have not tasted the goodness of God in a salvific way and do not bear the fruit of love towards the church or towards, you know, spiritual growth. They don't move in that direction. And you'll notice that not long after, even if they're, even if they sit in the church, 
and they're here for many years, they eventually depart from the, the, the body because they're not of us. And, and it's hard to sit through that um, because what's going on here is spiritual. And if you're not born from, from um, the spirit, it's kind of hard to sit in and, and be a part of a people. You know, what fellowship does darkness have with light? Um, you know, so with that in mind, you'll see that they, they'll depart from the church eventually if, if they're not from us. And you see that in 1 John 2, 19, where it says, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. Um, so, again, th- what we enjoy here within the body is, is something unique, something special, and something that the Lord does in our hearts. Um, and, and the same goes with our love for one another. That's a fruit of the Spirit. So, uh, just, just in conclusion, we, we read, as Peter exhorted the church to have a sincere and pure love for one another, one that is pr- produced out of the same Spirit that saves us, that we may put away the deeds of the flesh that destroy this sincere love in the church, and that we would long for that pure milk as we grow into our, into our salvation. Uh, as pilgrims in this world, our prayer should be that God built us, builds us up in love towards one another as we wait for his return. Um, and I want to close with a verse from Jude. Um, Jude one nineteen through 21. It says, It is these who cause divisions, worldly people, devoid of the Spirit, but you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And I love that because it's a reminder of uh, what Peter is exhorting the church to do uh, and to keep in mind as we wait for uh, the coming of Christ. Uh, any thoughts about what we talked about today? Yeah. First Corinthians thirteen thirteen. But mm. now, I'm sorry. But now, faith, hope, love, mm. abide. Abide these. I'm sorry. That's okay. Abide these three. Mm. But the greatest of these is love. Mm. The engine to make all those other things work has to be love. Amen. That's, the, that's what makes all those other things. Or else we're like, like right, useless tools. Useless. Yeah. yeah. And I just want to share that uh, the sincere underlined words and highlighted words in that First Peter, First mm. uh, Peter one twenty two is that yeah. it be sincere, that it be fervent, yeah. from the heart. Yeah. You know, fervent meaning that are we stretching our love for right. one another? Are we really stretching it out to the maximum? Amen. Uh, for for each other. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Good, good verse. Yep. Uh, Larry, did you have some? Mm. And then you also give 
you yeah. give your life. You give your life. So, you know, this is very straightforward. Yeah, yeah, amen. Good, good verses. Yeah, yeah. Boy, did you have some? Mm-hmm. I believe uh, our confession says that's almost an, was it like that's a progressive sanctification. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's right. This is it's a progression. You want to progress. Right. Not necessarily you have salvation. You are right. fully you are saved. Yeah. You know, yeah. Amen. And then I wanted to say for the longing for the pure meal. Um, I don't know if many people get that vivid picture of, you know, having three children and seeing all three of them. Oh, yeah. Right before they're about to rescue, there's a ferociousness about them. There's a desperate, they get very desperate. Yeah. And, you know, um, so that, that verse comes alive to me. Mm-hmm. Long, you know, I think of the desperation of the children is yeah. ready for the milk. You know, they want the milk. Right. And it could almost be like, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, amen. That's a that's a good illustration. Yeah. Yeah, brother. I was thinking about that in verse two, or verse three, it's Titus. You have taste of the word good. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah, very good. Yeah. Other thoughts? All right. Let me go ahead and pray. Uh, Our Father, we have read your word and received your command to love one another with a sincere brotherly love. You have called us to pursue this earnestly and from a pure heart. And so, Father, help us to put away all malice, all deceit, all hypocrisy, and envy, and all slander, and to put on Christ, who is a full expression of love, even your love towards us. Father, we ask that you feed us the milk of your word as it helps us to grow and to love the church the way that your son did. Father, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, y'all.